Letter nineteen of Letters on England by Voltaire, edited by Henry Morley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Letters on England by Voltaire. Letter nineteen on comedy. I am surprised that the judicious and ingenious Mr. de Muot, who has published some letters on the English and French nations, should have confined himself, in treating of comedy, merely to censure Shadowell, the comic writer. This author was had in pretty great contempt in Mr. de Muot's time, and was not the poet of the polite part of the nation his dramatic pieces which pleased some time in acting were despised by all persons of taste and might be compared to many plays which i have seen in france that drew crowds to the playhouse at the same time that they were intolerable to read and of which it might be said that the whole city of paris exploded them and yet all flocked to see them represented on the stage methinks mr de Muot should have mentioned an excellent comic writer living when he was in england i mean mr wycherley who was a long time known publicly to be happy in the good graces of the most celebrated mistress of king charles the second this gentleman who passes his life among persons of the highest distinction was perfectly well acquainted with their lives and their follies and painted them with the strongest pencil and in the truest colours he has drawn a misanthrope or man-hater in imitation of that of moliere all wycherley's strokes are stronger and bolder than those of our misanthrope but then they are less delicate and the rules of decorum are not so well observed in this play the english writer has corrected the only defect that is in moliere's comedy the thinness of the plot which also is so disposed that the characters in it do not enough raise our concern the english comedy affects us and the contrivance of the plot is very ingenious but at the same time it is too bold for the french manners the fable is this a captain of a man-of-war who is very brave open-hearted and inflamed with a spirit of contempt for all mankind has a prudent sincere friend whom he yet is suspicious of and a mistress that loves him with the utmost excess of passion the captain so far from returning her love will not even condescend to look upon her but confines entirely in a false friend who is the most worthless wretch living at the same time he has given his heart to a creature who is the greatest coquette and the most perfidious of her sex and he is so credulous as to be confident she is a penelope and his false friend a cato he embarks on board his ship in order to go and fight the dutch having left all his money his jewels and everything he had in the world to this virtuous creature whom at the same time he recommends to the care of his supposed faithful friend nevertheless the real man of honour 
whom he suspects so unaccountably goes on board the ship with him and the mistress on whom he would not bestow so much as one glance disguises herself in the habit of a page and is with him the whole voyage without his once knowing that she is of a sex different from that she attempts to pass for which by the way is not over-natural the captain having blown up his own ship in an engagement returns to england abandoned and undone accompanied by his page and his friend without knowing the friendship of the one or the tender passion of the other immediately he goes to the jewel among women who he expected had preserved her fidelity to him and the treasure he had left in her hands he meets with her indeed but married to the honest knave in whom he had reposed so much confidence and finds she had acted as treacherously with regard to the casket he had entrusted her with the captain can scarce think it possible that a woman of virtue and honour can act so vile a part but to convince him still more of the reality of it this very worthy lady falls in love with the little page and will force him to her embraces but as it is requisite justice should be done and that in a dramatic piece virtue ought to be rewarded and vice punished it is at last found that the captain takes his page's place and lies with his faithless mistress cuckolds his treacherous friend thrusts his sword through his body recovers his casket and marries his page you will observe that this play is also larded with a petulant litigious old woman a relation of the captain who is the most comical character that was ever brought upon the stage Witchley has also copied from Molière another play, of as singular and bold a cast, which is a kind of école des femmes, or school for married women. The principal character in this comedy is one Homer, a sly fortune-hunter, and a terror of all the city husbands. This fellow, in order to play a surer game, causes a report to be spread that in his last illness the surgeons had found it necessary to have him made a eunuch upon his appearing in his noble character all the husbands in town flocked to him with their wives and now poor homer is only puzzled about his choice however he gives the preference particularly to a little female peasant a very harmless innocent creature who enjoys a fine flush of health and cuckolds her husband with a simplicity that is infinitely more merit than the witty malice of the most experienced ladies this play cannot indeed be called the school of good morals but it is certainly the school of wit and true humour sir john vembra has written several comedies which are more humorous than those of mr Witchley but not so ingenious sir john was a man of pleasure and likewise a poet and an architect the general opinion is that he is as sprightly in his writings as he is heavy in his buildings it is he who raised the famous castle of blenheim a ponderous and lasting monument of our unfortunate battle of hochstedt 
worthy apartments but as spacious as the walls are thick this castle would be commodious enough some wag in an epitaph he made on sir john vembra has these lines earth lie light on him for he laid many a heavy load on thee sir john having taken a tour into france before the glorious war that broke out in seventeen o one was thrown into the bastille and detained there for some time without being ever able to discover the motive which had prompted our ministry to indulge him with this mark of their distinction he wrote a comedy during his confinement and a circumstance which appears to me very extraordinary is that we don't meet with so much as a single satirical stroke against the country in which he had been so injuriously treated the late mr congreve raised the glory of comedy to a greater height than any english writer before or since his time he wrote only a few plays but they are all excellent in their kind the laws of the drama are strictly observed in them they abound with characters all which are shadowed with the utmost delicacy and we don't meet with so much as one low or coarse jest the language is everywhere that of men of honour but their actions are those of knaves a proof that he was perfectly well acquainted with human nature and frequented what we call polite company he was infirm and come to the verge of life when i knew him mr congreve had one defect which was his entertaining too mean an idea of his first profession that of a writer though it was to this he owed his fame and fortune he spoke of his works as of trifles that were beneath him and hinted to me in our first conversation that i should visit him upon no other footing than that of a gentleman who led a life of plainness and simplicity i answered that had he been so unfortunate as to be a mere gentleman i should never have come to see him and i was very much disgusted at so unseasonable a piece of vanity mr congreve's comedies are the most witty and regular and those of sir john vembra most gay and humorous and those of mr wychley have the greatest force and spirit it may be proper to observe that these fine geniuses never spoke disadvantageously of moliere and that none but the contemptible writers among the english have endeavoured to lessen the character of that great comic poet such italian musicians as despise lully are themselves persons of no character or ability but a bonaccini esteems that great artist and does justice to his merit the english have some other good comic writers living such as sir richard steele and mr sibber who is an excellent player and also poet laureate a title which how ridiculous soever it may be thought is yet worth a thousand crowns a year besides some considerable privileges to the person who enjoys it our illustrious cornille had not so much to conclude don't desire me to descend to particulars with regard to these english comedies which i am so fond of applauding 
nor to give you a single smart saying or humorous stroke from Wycherley or Congreve. We don't laugh in rending a translation. If you have a mind to understand the English comedy, the only way to do this will be for you to go to England, to spend three years in London, to make yourself master of the English tongue, and to frequent the playhouse every night. I receive but little pleasure from the perusal of Aristophanes and Protus, and for this reason, because I am neither a Greek nor a Roman. The delicacy of the humour, the allusion, the apropos, all these are lost to a foreigner. But it is different with respect to tragedy. This treating only of exalted passions and heroical follies, which the antiquated errors of fable or history have made sacred. Oedipus, Electra, and such-like characters may with as much propriety be treated of by the Spaniards, the English, or us, as by the Greeks. But true comedy is the speaking picture of the follies and ridiculous foibles of a nation, so that he only is able to judge of the painting who is perfectly acquainted with the people it represents. End of letter 19 Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith